Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 176, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Mike, a music industry executive, and talk about preparing to leave a job, potentially not on your own terms. You know, in, in the community, you always hear about people that want to retire early. I, I'm not looking to retire early. I love what I do, love it. But I also know that technology and consumers chase are changing my career and what I do. And I'll still be in the music business, but I probably won't be at the capacity that I am in now. And who knows if I'll make the money that I'm making now. So that's what I'm planning for. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me as always is my can't carry a tune in a bucket co-host, Scott Trench. The only way to respond appropriately here is to sing and not going to do it. Moving on. (laughs) Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments or make huge half of your net worth game changing decisions in real estate, start your own business or do whatever else you want with retiring early. We'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so that you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Today, we are speaking with Mike who is a music industry executive, but changes in listener habits are threatening his job. Is that the right way to say that, Scott? Do you think threatening his job? I think his job is going to have a lot of changes in the next seven to 10 years. And more importantly, Mike thinks his job's going to have a lot of changes. So I love that he is thinking ahead and making plans now while he can calmly prepare for the next chapter of his life, as opposed to putting his head in the sand, ignoring potential changes, and then frantically having to figure out something in seven years. Yeah, I, I think I think Mike was a great guest. I think he has made a lot of really good decisions over his lifetime. I think he is more healthily paranoid than he needs to be with respect to his, his job. But I think that, hey, if he did lose his job, the worst case that happens is he basically is able to retire right now. So I I really thought this was a helpful Finance Friday because I think a lot of people are going through similar thought processes to Mike. I think that his situation, to me, is highly likely to be reflective of other people who have been really doing good financial habits and making good quality decisions over a 20, 25-year period. Because when you do that and make investments, you're going to have a couple of weird winners which skew your financial position. And that weird winner is half of his net worth right now in a San Francisco condo. Um, And so that's not like a weird, like that just happens. I think if you invest over a long period of time, you're, you're likely to hit a good deal or a good winner, you know, Tesla stock or whatever it is that you're doing over a long period of time. So I think it's a really interesting discussion and I think he's set himself up in a really healthy way. Yes. And I just love that he's looking forward. I mean, so many people get into a job that they love and he clearly loves his job. I mean, how could he not? What a fun job. But people get into this position where, oh, I love my job. Therefore, I'm never going to quit. So I don't have to make plans. And what is this saying? Life is what happens when you're making other plans. Have you ever heard that? Is that a romantic comedy that I just made up? I've heard uh, man plans, God laughs. Oh, that, yeah, true. Uh, Life laughs too. Just in general, you can make all the best plans, but what you really need to do is plan your finances out so that you are prepared for life coming up and slapping you and saying, ha, 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 this is what you're going to do instead. So I just, I think there's a lot of things that people can take away from this episode, and I'm super excited to share it with everybody. Uh, Before we bring in Mike, let's go back to the part that my attorney makes me read. The contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither Scott nor I, nor Bigger Pockets, is engaged in the provision of legal tax or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Okay, let's bring in Mike and tell him what to do. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, 
we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. With this money. Mike works in the music industry, but changes to consumer habits means his job might change dramatically in the next three to five years. He's looking for options so he can make calm decisions instead of frantic emotional decisions out of panic. Mike, welcome to the show. Let's start off with your financial backstory. Can you remind people what area of the world you live in? And then let's recap your income and expenses and debts. Okay. I live in uh, Nashville and debt is simple. When I first started in the music business, I sold my house, Pennsylvania, moved to California and completely paid off all credit cards, student loans and whatever. So the only debt I technically have is my mortgage on my Nashville house. And then I have a rental property, which is covered by my tenants. So, you know, I know some people say, well, you're not debt free until you have the mortgage paid off. But essentially, I'm debt free because the mortgage is so cheap at this point after refinancing. So the salary is 135 base. And then we get a bonus every year. And that fluctuates. But typically, it's around Twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars if we do very well, and then I, I don't know if this should be counted or not, but I a lot of times count the company match for the four hundred one k because it's a, it's a substantial amount of money. It's seven to eight thousand dollars per year, so to me that's found money. So I throw that in there too. Well, the, I love that absolutely. And, and are there any other sources of income outside of the the base bonus and four hundred one k match? I used to. This is the key word. Um, Bring in around forty-one, forty-two hundred dollars a year with the condo that I own in San Francisco. However, uh, times have radically changed in the last year, and I'm still fortunate that I do have one of the three tenants left. But I am now subsidizing that. So, beginning this past January, uh, a couple of months ago, I'm subsidizing it. So, I up until January, I hadn't lost any money, but I certainly was not bringing in the you know, $41,4200 profit after all expenses paid as I was the last few years. So you're, you're bringing in a 44000 a month in cash flow from the property prior to the, the pandemic. Actually, 5300 5300 wow, 5, is what I was collecting. Correct. And then paying the mortgage, uh, taxes, HOA fee, all that. Real estate sounds like it's a part of it. Could you walk us through the major components of your net worth, maybe starting with the largest assets and moving your way down? The largest asset outside of the condo. So yeah, let's talk about the condo. How much is it worth? It bounces between 1.4 and 1.6. Million. Okay, wow. And, Correct. And, and what's your debt on that? Just about $600,000 now. It's like 606, 604. It's very Fantastic. Low. So you don't you don't need much else, and you're already pretty pretty much a millionaire just with this one. 
So yeah, uh, correct. Yes, it's a nice it's a nice little uh, padding. I mean, I know Sacramento, California will take their cut in taxes if I ever sold it, but yes, it's it's pretty good. Yes, they will. There's <laughs> all these people that trash California real estate. It's not a good place. It, you know, all right, you make one one deal here, and you're you're wealthier than people who've been buying you know cash flow rentals in the Midwest for years. Sorry, I'm I going off on a tangent with this, but <laughs> I yeah, bought I bought the. I purchased it, uh, I think in 2009, it's brand new, and I paid 760 for it. There you go. Oh, yeah. wow. So you've yeah. seen some appreciation and that oh. will trigger a nice capital gains tax bill if you choose to sell it. So let's uh, let's put that on the back burner right now and go through your expenses. And then that is something I want to revisit down the it, a little bit. Hold on, because it's his largest asset. I think there's a couple more questions to hear about this. Can you uh, walk us okay. through what rents rents were and what they are now, and then where you expect them to be in a year or two? For what I used to get for the condo, or what's in the neighbor, what the city is bearing? What, what do you? Yeah, what did you used to get, and then what do you think is the current reality? So I used to get uh, fifty three hundred a month for the last two years. Now, when I look in the neighborhood, well, okay, there's a sidebar to this. There is, uh, this just came about in the last few years, there's uh, heavy rent control now in San Francisco. And so I've been, I keep up on the news every week in San Francisco and some of the landlords, if I understood these news stories correct, are not raising the rents because I'll look, I'll look on, you know, different, you know, rental sites and I'll be like, okay, what's going on in the neighborhood? And rents are still, you know, 40 4,000, 4,500, something like that. 5,000 have even seen. And I have a three bedroom. So what I kind of heard on the news when they were interviewing landlords is they're like, we're going to ride this out because if we get someone in there for say $3,000, we can only raise it 1% or whatever it is per year. And it'll take us a decade to get back to regular market rate from a year ago, 2019. Mm. So that I think... That was very eye-opening when I saw that. I don't want to go in and say, well, just to get a tenant in there, I'll take 3000 And then all of a sudden, you know, they stay, which is good. There's nothing wrong with staying, but I'm going to be subsidizing that along the way for several years until they move out because of the laws. That That's fascinating. That is super important. We don't have rent control. Do we have any rent control in Denver, Scott? I do not believe so. Yeah. So that is something that I have never even considered, but absolutely you can only raise your rent a certain amount per month. If you're in a rent controlled area, wow, that gives you yet something else to think about before you start renting out your properties. Yeah. I mean, they, they had some of these landlords in the South Bay down towards, you know, San Jose, Google, Mountain View. And, you know, they're just like, yeah, they're empty, but that's all right. We're going to ride it out like that. And it was very eye-opening a couple of weeks ago when I saw that news story. So and I would have never thought of that. What is the, um, the current status is vacant? No, um, I had three guys in there and one got married, one left to work out of town. And the other guy actually is moving. He got a new job too, but until the you know pandemic is lifted, he asked if I could make a deal with him. And I said, yes. And so basically I'm charging, um, 2,455 for it. And my thought after talking with some former coworkers and friends in the Bay Area, it's better to have some money than no money coming in. A friend of mine has two condos in Oakland. She hasn't had a look in probably six months because there's so much inventory. So that's where I was just like, you know what? Stabilization is better than nothing. And I don't mind. I mean, not that I like throwing in some cash every month, but I'd rather do just a few dollars than pay the whole nut. So thank you for this context. So, so we've got a fantastic winner of a real estate deal here where you've made three quarters of a million dollars, but some problems uh, in, in the current and, and in a murky go forward look here where the, the, the current game seems to be wait and see and not do anything that would lock you in and, and kill your options right now. Is that right? Yes, but there's one more caveat that I should tell you, and that is that three blocks from my condo, this is arguably one of the hottest neighborhoods in the city. They just built the new Chase Center three blocks from there where the Golden State Warriors, um, well, they were supposed to move. I mean, they've moved, but no one could go to the games just yet. But I mean, 
This neighborhood for the next decade, once things get back to normal, is it's going to be popping. So that's kind of like, well, it's not just an ordinary condo in an ordinary neighborhood. There's so much promise there. You have the San Francisco Children's Hospital three blocks away. Uber's headquarters were there. I think they probably scaled it back. I mean, there's just, there's a lot going on. So in the long game, there's a lot to consider. So I, I refer to this uh, somewhat morbidly as as bleeding in the short run, but but you're bleeding in this condo because you're uh, you're, you're you're paying the what's the mortgage payment and what is your um, the mortgage in? payment is uh, to round it up it's four thousand a month. Okay, and then you're you're receiving twenty five hundred, so you're you're putting fifteen hundred dollars in cash in when there are no maintenance issues. No, I'm putting about nineteen hundred in. Because HOAs are six fifty, uh, okay. then I have the insurance, all that on it. Uh, but the taxes are folded in with the four thousand mortgage payment. So I mean, they were more than covering everything prior to this. Okay, okay, great. One last question about the condo: Are short-term sure. rentals allowed in San Francisco, and are they allowed in this this building? I don't know the answer to that. I would have to okay find out. Yeah, that would be something to consider. Episode 131 of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast talks to Serge Shukat, and he has an apartment building that is around the corner from a cancer center. And you mentioned the, is it the Children's Hospital? Is yes. Nearby. So he has a lot of people coming into his units to stay during cancer treatment. I'm wondering if there is a short term or even like a longer short term option. Some cities have limited it to 30 days or more. But if you're coming in for treatment at the children's hospital, maybe you would be there for 30 days or more. Um, so that's an option going forward if short-term rentals are allowed in the unit. Yeah, it's the it's actually UCSF. So it's a college uh, children's hospital. Uh, okay, so. yeah. But I mean, you know, it's also on the main subway line and they built the Chinatown subway extension and then they're doing the high-speed rail kind of like are in Europe and Asia that's that's going through there and the train station is a mile away. I mean, it's the economy and all, once everything opens back up, I mean, the next decade could be paved with gold in this neighborhood, but it's just going to take time for that to go. Okay. Uh, and I guess I do have one more, one last question. How long can you afford to subsidize this condo? In, I mean, indefinitely. I, I have more than a cushion, which okay, when okay, we go through great. all my other like, you know, net worth, you'll, you'll see, I, if I have to dig into this bucket or that bucket, I can more than do it. Okay. I love that answer. I love that you are, you didn't buy seven of these condos and then you're barely scraping by and you can't afford to keep them. Okay. Well, let's look at your expenses. We've covered income and debts. Where is your money going every month? Wait, wait, wait. Before we get to expenses, can we keep walking through the net worth statements? So we're just doing one, one thing here. What's the next largest asset after the condo? The uh, my company four hundred one k there's about uh, five hundred forty six thousand in it. Nice, that's awesome. Oh. And you just take the match every year. I max it out every year. Correct. You max it out every year. Okay, great. Yeah. Then there is the company stock uh, plan that we are offered, which we get to buy our stock at a reduced rate. It matures after five years. There's uh, ten thousand five hundred in that, and yet last year was the first year it paid off. So. Continually now, it continues to roll every year. I get paid off from the five years previous. Uh, next would be just general stocks. I have about $76,000 there. I have 7000 in certificate of deposits at the bank. I have a brokerage account, which I just have index funds investments. That's at 307000 I have a Roth at 44000 an IRA at 84000 Last or not last year, but 2019, I got into the REITs, like a, uh, an online REIT investment. That's fifty-four thousand. I have a personal investment with someone for ten thousand. I have an emergency fund of cash in my savings account of twenty-two thousand, and then the condo is approximately eight hundred thousand equity. What, what about a primary residence? I owe two hundred and six thousand on the primary residence. The value swings between four fifty and five hundred thousand. However, I don't count the house that I live in in my net worth because, look, it. If I really ran into financial straits and had to sell it, I got probably two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand 
equity. However, I need a place to live. So that's why I don't count that. No, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. I, I just, yeah. I just wanted to point out that, you know, I, I had suspected something like that because you keep moving to like the most happening city at the perfect time and buying property there. <laughs> um, I got, I think Nashville I got in. And, yeah. And it I, sounds like Sacramento. <laughs> when I talked to my friends from San Francisco, when I moved here and I bought it and I, the first number was a three, it was through 318, I think. And they were like, <laughs> what? You should have bought two more. And I should have, because the same house today, there's no more twos and threes anymore. Everything now is begins with a four or five or better. No, I mean, like buy, buying in, in San Francisco in 2009 looks genius. And buying in Nashville, you know, four or five, I don't know, I'm guessing four or five years ago, somewhere around that point, you know. Seven years ago, I bought. Yeah, that's perfect. I mean, that, yeah. that is just like that. Nashville is one of the hottest markets in the entire country over the last seven, five, six, seven years. So, um, yeah, there's no office workers or tourists downtown, but there are a lot of cement trucks and cranes and construction workers, pandemic or no. It's yep. just that they're, they keep building. Well, okay, I want to know so, where you're so, moving next so that I can go buy a house there too. <laughs> yeah. so, so, we're looking at a, a net worth position between. Let's call it uh, uh, two and two and a half million dollars between all these assets. Is that about about in the Correct. right ballpark? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on whether we count the house, we know that number can move toward the higher end or lower end of that range. Yeah. Ahead, so I'm going to jump in here and say I would count the equity in the home as part of your net worth because that's something that you own. The 200 ish that you already have an equity, I believe should count towards your net worth. And that's how I estimate my own net worth is by the equity, not how much I could get for it if I sold it today, because you don't own all 450,000 in purchase price. You still have the mortgage on it. So that's what I would do. It's your finances. And if you want to estimate low, that's always better than estimating high on the net worth scale. Cause then you're just pleasantly surprised. You're like, Oh, it's 2.6, not 2.4. That's just better. <laughs> Thank you. Good advice. Good advice. <laughs> now let's talk about the expense side of this. Can you walk us through your living expenses and exclude the condo, the, the any payment or payments? So or just income like, you know, that? me living in, in, in my house and what yep. goes through. Um, so I think I sent you guys uh, 2019 and then I sent you 2020. I have a spreadsheet and I got very addicted to this. I don't expect anyone to be like this. You know, if I used to find a dollar on the subway platform or, you know, 50 cents at sidewalk, I'd pick it up and I'd, you know, I, I'd count it on my spreadsheet. I know it's crazy, but I have a friend that does that with her food. She weighs everything out. So it's like, you know, I think uh, Liz from Frugalwood said this one time, it's a game and that's, I've gotten addicted to the game, but I don't expect anyone to do this. I love your personal budget and how <laughs> precise you are. And that's, that's really important because when you're trying to figure out what levers can I pull to make the most change in my, in my life, you look and you're like, oh, spending a lot of time on this makes no sense. Spending a lot of time on this makes a lot more sense. So I think it's great. And like I keep saying all the time, personal finance is personal. I think I started it about 12 or 13 years ago for tax purposes, because we used to be able to write a lot off in, in the business that I did, but those have gone away, but I just kept doing it. And it, it, is, it is, I mean, I've heard this on the podcast before. It's very eye-opening when you see it. But I mean, I guess what I want to say is if you look at my 2019 and then you look at 2020, everything stopped. So the spending stopped. And I want to, I think I literally lived off of my bonus last year and literally invested and saved my entire base salary because I didn't, I didn't go out to eat or cocktail or, you know, go on vacation or anything. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll give you two things that I just think are just, they're, they're, they're fun. So I want to say that there was a Wall Street Journal article that I'd read in April about calling your insurance company and reducing the insurance rate. And truly, you know, a lot of the cars that people, they were just sitting in their driveways all year. So, I mean, again, I got it down. I got the insurance for two cars down to $40 a month. And then I think I spent an hour because I didn't really drive them, but maybe once a week, it, it cost me $17 a month for each car and gas. And one of them I have is a hybrid. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> just, who, who spends that? Who spends $17 a month on, in gas for a car? Nobody. 
Uh, me you last don't April. Drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, my my I think you know. I love craft cocktails. I like really nice wine. I really like really nice coffee, but that's kind of what I spend things. And then, you know, look at, I'll say that's this That's where my too. budget goes to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very fortunate because of my job, uh, my wife's job, some things are paid for. So I don't pay for my internet. I don't pay for my cell phone. Uh, that's that's paid for the by the company. Uh, you know, her job allows us to get this craft coffee subscription. So- we're doing well, but we don't have a lot of the expenses a lot of other people have. And I totally understand that. People could say, that's impossible. How could you only spend $500 a month? Well, I there's there's added in that. So but that's a perk of where you work. And that is- A great is, perk. Yes, a great perk. That's Don't apologize for these awesome things that you get. I get some awesome things because of my job too. And that's, you know, that's okay. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. I think we've got a really good picture of this. We have 31000 a year in annual expenses. Mm-hmm. We've got two to two and a half million dollars in assets. And what I love about your story is that 
uh, about half of that is reflective of the grind of good habits over a long period of time, the 401k, the after-tax brokerage accounts, those types of things, long-term investing philosophy. And the other half of it is phenomenal real estate <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> outcomes, right, of that net worth. So, What do so they say, regard- right place, right time? Sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, what I want to point yeah. out that is regardless of whether you got right place, right time or whatever, I, I think lucky is too strong a word. I, I you know, I, I invested in Denver, which has some of those, the, the same profiles of appreciation. But regardless of that, you still would be a very wealthy self-made millionaire with just the 401k, the, the good long-term habits and the the focus on the, the low expenses there. So that's supposed to be a compliment, but I'm butchering this. Uh, but anyways, uh, <laughs> Thank what, you. so what's your, what's your goal right now, Mike, and what, what would be the best way we could help you? So I absolutely love my career, but you know, the truth be told is that, you know, consumer habits have changed. And, you know, I was saying this probably four or five years ago, we would see it where, People are listening less and less to the radio and more and more to streaming uh, services, podcasting, and so forth. And that's great. But what my sole job depends on is promoting our artists to radio. And I think probably in the next three to five to seven years, maybe 10, I don't know that it'll go that long. But, you know, because of this past year with the pandemic, a lot of radio companies have been more than strapped. Thank God it was an election year. It actually helped some radio and television and newspaper stations, you know, because there was so much political advertising to spend. But these companies have been very hurt and they've had to cut beyond the bone and they've started to do what is called central programming. And so you might have, you know, the station in Phoenix or Austin, Texas, all programmed out of Denver. And so that's less managers of the radio stations for me to call and promote to because one person in another city far away might be, you know, dictating what you're hearing, you know, on the Boston radio station. That, if you look at, I'm seeing the writing on the wall. It's just, it's changing. And with radio listening, it's anymore, it's kind of uh, not that people don't listen at home or in their office or workplace, but the most place that people listen to the radio is in their car. And if people are at home, they're not commuting to work. And the other problem is, is that we've been in this for a year now and who knows how much longer it's going to go. And so it's very difficult to get someone out of their habit that they've adopted. So if they used to get up and get in their car and drive to a downtown area to their workplace and listen to, you know, their radio station for music... And being at home now, they get up and maybe they listen to the Today Show or, you know, a podcast or, or or maybe they're just listening to Spotify or Pandora. Well, when they get in the car and we start opening up again, are they going to go back to the radio station or are they just going to plug their phone in to the radio in the vehicle they're driving and not turn on the local radio station? I mean, I don't know, but it's hard to get them out of a habit once they get into it. And that's where I see a lot of this going. You know, in in the community, you always hear about people that want to retire early. I'm not looking to retire early. I love what I do. Love it. But I also know that technology and consumers chase are changing my career and what I do. And I'll still be in the music business, but I probably won't be at the capacity that I am in now. And who knows if I'll make the money that I'm making now. So that's what I'm planning for. Well, well, so so at the highest level, it sounds like the challenge here is that, hey, my career may be and my current role may be phased out over the next three, four, five years, maybe sooner, who knows, um, with that. And I'll lose that that current thing. But it doesn't sound like it's a, it doesn't sound like you'd be unwilling to work for a significant pay cut if it wasn't a, a, tan, a very similar thing working for the next thing. So, I mean, I guess what I'm asking is what um, what can we help you with with regards to the financial side of this? Is it do you want do you want to redesign your portfolio to produce income for a more defensive position, or I guess what's the challenge? Uh the challenge. I don't know if it's the challenge. I don't know if challenge is the right word. I was hoping to see if you guys could take a look at it and say, you're kind of doing a lot of things right, but here's one thing maybe you could modify that would help you. Uh, I remember my accountant uh, last year said, well, you could start a business or you could buy more real estate. And I'm like, well, I'm really not interested in doing either right now. But those were the only two pieces of advice that he had for me to lower my 
you know, taxable income or to modify my investment strategy. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of like, well, okay, that's all that you have. Maybe that could be a good thing that I'm doing everything right. Or maybe I need to ask a few different people and see if they see it a different way. I mean, if real estate wasn't out of control like it is now, I might consider buying another condo, but everything is so overpriced right now. So that's not an option for me. And and I'm not interested in starting a business. <laughs> let me just let me just like spew some thoughts about your situation and see if see if any of this is helpful, right? What I'm hearing is I'm hearing a guy who's who's pretty frugal, likes his craft cocktails, which which is a very wise thing to spend your money on, in my opinion. But but you spend one quarter of your annual income in, in and you know on an after tax basis at least, you know, uh, not counting any of your investments and the, those types of things. You could take a pay cut in half. You could drive Uber for 30 hours a week and still be able to cash flow your living situation the way that I am a 40, 40 to 45 hours a week. But you, you know, you you could you do not have an expensive lifestyle and you've got a substantial amount of assets. Your portfolio is reflective of really good habits over you know uh, conducted over a very long period of time with a pretty sound underlying philosophy there. And then again, these two huge winners in real estate. You're over-indexed in real estate or overweighted <laughs> in real estate because you had a gigantic freaking winner in the San Francisco property, right? So it's not like that's a mistake or anything with, with your portfolio. You can easily, you have this bleed on your San Francisco property, but you can sustain it indefinitely, your current rate. And you could probably sustain it even if you get, if, if you lost 30, 40% of your salary. If you lost half your salary, now all of a sudden you have to figure out another way to make up some of that income. But like you have an extremely defensive financial position that I think is just fantastic and liberating with that. But if you were to retire tomorrow, then you would have to make some changes to your portfolio in order to for it to produce more income directly that would enable you to actually spend that income. So that, that, would, that would, I don't know, that rant over there. Any reactions to what I just said with that? <laughs> I mean, I, I think I am unique. I think when a lot of this started and I started, you know, reading and listening to everything in the community, it was, you know, the common thing was tech workers that just hated a cubicle and wanted to get out early. That's not my case at all. I mean, I absolutely love my career and what I do. I mean, we always joke, especially when you're at a concert, having a couple of beers with your clients. It's like, this is like college with an expense account. So I'm not looking to, you know, change that. It's it's fantastic. I mean, movies, music, television, fashion, tech, sports, create pop culture. That's what I'm a part of. And I just love it. So I'm not looking to, you know, just do something different. But I do know it's coming quick. It's going to change. Uh, you know, not 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 this year. I don't think. Not even maybe next year. But it's coming. And I think I, <laughs> to use a punt, when the music stops, I want a chair. I want a comfortable one. And then what? Are, what do they always say? It's like so. Now you have options. What are your options going to be? You know, do you work for a specific artist, a management company, a touring company? Do you still work for another record label? I don't know. I mean, you're open to all of it, but. It will change, so that's what I'm trying to plan for immensely. So, yeah, and, and I think I think you're you're 100 wise to do so. I think like what I would often what we'll see, and I'll give you examples of people who are not you to help you think about see my perspective on some of this, right? <laughs> but like, suppose we had somebody who had a uh, you know 400,000 in home equity and 500,000 in retirement account and 22,000 in savings, the way you have that person's in big trouble in your situation, right? And they need to real quick begin figuring out how to create assets outside of that retirement account, outside of the home equity, because they're screwed if they lose the job. They've only got a couple months runway. You've got half a million in assets, maybe 600, 600 700,000 in assets outside of the retirement accounts that you could borrow against, that you could liquidate to sell. I mean, for, for many years, perhaps close to it, perhaps all the way potentially through to traditional retirement age when you can begin accessing the money in the in the 401k through work and those types of things. On top of that, you got another $750,000 in equity in, in the condo with that, which you can again borrow against or liquidate if you had need of any cash there. And you because you spend so much less than you earn, you could you could take a year and figure this out and think through it and then figure out okay, I'm going to do this on a consulting basis. I'm going to th- I'm going to do th- start my own business here. I'm going to do whatever it is in the event that I 
I lost my job. It also sounds like you're super passionate about your job. So I, I am a little suspect about whether uh, you're not very, very good at your job and unlikely to be on the chopping block in the early rounds of this uh, <laughs> in the event that your company is forced to make hard decisions. So these are just more compliments heading your way. Uh, I don't know. Again, I don't know if this is helpful. Oh, that was it's a not compliment? <laughs> <laughs> How good are you at your job? That's a real compliment. I'm so glad we don't. I, I have suspect those. he's really good at his job because he loves it so much, right? So, so I, I do. I, I think <laughs> I, I think that that's. It's just like you know. I, that's what I'm saying. Like I don't know how much I'd change about your portfolio. With the exception of, and I think you're thinking, you even brought up great questions with your San Francisco condo, right? I mean, again, that's the biggest piece of the pie here, and we can talk about that. But it seems like you're you've got your your outlook on that pretty pretty good. You think it's going to go up in value, and you can sustain it in the short run to see what your options are going to look like in a year or two from now with that. But that's where I'm, I'm struggling to come up with like good advice here because I think you're pretty smart and, and doing a lot of things intelligently with this. It's a little complex, but it's great overall. So, Thank you. Okay. Let's ask about the condo. Mm -hmm. Is there a point where certain, you know, I know people that hold on to everything for their whole life. And then I know people that, you know, get out of them after 10 years. I mean, it's, it's approximately 13 years old now. I mean, does there, does there come a point where it's really time to exit a property like that, especially after a certain amount of time, the HOA fee probably will go up so that, you know, you're going to need a new roof. You're going to need a new elevator in the building. You're, you could replace a dishwasher in a stove anytime, but I mean, there's capital expenses that will come up with a condo and really you should be exiting it after X amount of years or, or I don't know, but I, this is my first entry into having a rental property. I've never had one before. Yeah. So the condo is really building specific. You could have a condo association that is doing a really great job of running the association. The dues are $600 a month because they really only need $200 a month and the 400 goes into the CapEx for the entire building so that when they do need a new roof, they already have the money in the reserves to pay for the roof. They don't have to issue what's called a special assessment. I never lived in a condo like that. I always lived in the condo where the association is $200 a month and that's the bare bones. And when they need a new roof, oops, now we have to double that association fee on everybody because we have nothing in reserves. So I would look into their reserve fund. And I think you're asking all the right questions. I love that you have these such great problems because it does make it, you know, now I've, like Scott, I'm struggling to come up with some good advice, but I also want to note that, you know, your good problems are because of great past practices. So back to the condo, I would look into their reserve fund. How much is in there? How much is a new roof? It's not a thousand dollars. A new roof on a condo is on a kind of building. How tall is the building? 100,000, uh, four stories, four or five stories. Okay, so $100,000. A roof lasts between, uh, what, tw 15 and 25 years, depending on, well, and that's residential. I don't know how long a condo building roof lasts. With it, with it, when you have an HOA, it lasts about 15 years. When you don't, it's about 30 years, I th I've heard. <laughs> So, <laughs> there you go. So it's a 13-year-old building. Do you have $100,000 in reserves? And do you pay your own heating bill or is it an, a boiler that heats the entire building? Routine maintenance on, is it brick? Well, it was, it was like, a, it's only 12, 13 years old. So it was under the new California code for earthquake and all. I mean, there's a lot of I mean, Perfect. just the hand, just the bathrooms in it. I'd never seen bathrooms, and they had the the um, what do you call it? You know, the the electrical outlets were high. I mean, there's codes that were state California codes I'd never even seen before in buildings. So it's good, but again, everything ages. You know, yeah, everything so, ages, and I would yeah. look into the HOA uh, reserve fund. And see if – ask – nobody ever goes to the HOA meetings. Ask them, what are you paying for? What is the extra going into? Do they have plans for a new roof, a new – like repaving the parking lot or the boiler is what did it on my 
uh, property. We had a pool, so they had to fix the pool. There were all these little things that add up. And when you don't have anything in reserves, then you have to issue a special assessment. So if there's a special assessment coming, that's probably going to stink. Well, I I would just zoom out here for a second and say the asset is $1.4 million, right? At it, it, 1.2 to 1.4, somewhere in that ballpark, I think is what you said. Is that right? Uh, 1.4, 1.6. One point, okay, sorry, I'm way yeah. off. Um, 1.4, 1.6. So, and we've got a $600,000 mortgage on the property. It's it's costing $4,000 a month, and it should be bringing in $5,300 a month in income, right? It was it, it was for two years, it was bringing in $5,300 a month. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is not a cash flowing asset, right? You know, if if you took that if you took that seven hundred in equity, um, or I guess eight eight or nine hundred thousand dollars in equity, seven fifty whatever it is after the city takes their cut, um, and and the 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 closing costs, you know, that type of wealth could generate substantially different levels of free cash flow in another area. It may not appreciate the same way that you're expecting this property to appreciate, but it's not an income generator. So, the holding holding onto the property has to be predicated on the assumption that you're either going to change that cash flow profile or that it's going to continue to accrete in value over time. Now, you asked about like timing issues. I don't see any big ones. HOA could be there, but what are they going to they're going to ding you $10,000? Okay, that's what like 1.5% of the wealth you have in this thing. So it's it's just not material to the decision about whether the next when the next HOA event is going to happen unless I'm misjudging that it's going to be much much larger than a $10,000 hit or something like that. The question I think is whether it's going to go up in value and then again I don't think there's any timing things other than like you lose the depreciation benefit after 27 and a half years. So in another 14 and a half years, you know, then you might have then you might be losing some of that offset to your your passive income there and some of the tax advantages. But I think that's that's what it boils down to for me is can you change that cash flow profile? Short-term rentals, you already do rent by the room, which is a, a, a pretty good way to increase rent in a lot of ways. But Or how confident are you that the market, local market conditions are going to continue to carry this property up in value. This is your largest asset and the biggest, the biggest stakes thing here. But the great news about your position in the first place is that you don't even need this asset in, in order to sustain what you're going on here because of the, the other good stuff you've got going on. I mean, there's another asset with the condo and that's the parking spot. You could get $300 a month for that. Mm. So if the there new tenant go. doesn't have a car, I could rent the parking spot out to someone else in the building for $300 a month. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. That's, so that's important too. So I was I yeah. was uh, gonna get to that as well. The market of San Francisco. You just mentioned that your friend in Oakland hasn't even had anybody looking at her property in six months. I have friends who live in San Francisco, and a couple of years ago, there would be a line for the opportunity to put money down on a rental in San Francisco. It was so hot with. COVID happening, all of these companies have said, oh, we're not going to expand into the city anymore. All of our employees can go live someplace else because they're all working from home anyway. And why pay these super high rents in the Bay Area when you can go live in Iowa, where you're from, and pay $1,000 and have a palace with super high-speed internet and you know get all this as well? So Scott said, how confident are you in the market? San Francisco has been hot. I used to live in Turlock. San Francisco has been hot since I lived there in second grade, which was a couple of years ago. So I don't know that it will never be hot again, but I've heard a lot of people saying that the market has gone down and it is much more difficult to find a tenant. So, you know, how long do you think that's going to last? I don't know. I mean, I remember Manhattan used to be like that too. You know, when I was growing up, it was, you did just did. And then you think, I'm like, boy, 15 years ago, if you bought something, you know, in Manhattan now, it's it's amazing. I, I don't know. I, I wonder, you know, what's gone through my mind is, do you cash out and then put this into index funds and maybe make a better profit over the long run in the stock market or hang on to the condo and hope for more appreciation? That's kind of where my, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if there's a right or a wrong answer in that. No, absolutely. The, the, the challenge with that is, you know, it's always more difficult to exit a real estate investment than to enter it because of the closing costs with those types of things, right? So when you like when you if you were to zero base your portfolio and you had the let's say let's say it's eight hundred in equity in the property, and if you sell it, it will be seven fifty after closing costs. I'm making this up. Um, 
but some, somewhere no, it'll be less than that. Like let's call it seven hundred in after closing costs. That's way higher. That's very conservative with the closing cost estimate. But okay, I've got seven hundred k in cash. What do I do with that right now? And so that's one question to go about asking. But then you ha- also have to recognize, like, hey, hey, the problem is though I've got eight hundred locked up in this in this property, and so I'm the only way I'm going to get to that seven hundred is by paying the taxes, the closing costs, the whatever. I mean, the after taxes is going to be even less than that, right? I mean, we've got a we've got a huge gain that we're that we're going to be declaring on this property. So, I think that's where the challenge is going to come from, and I think it's probably helpful to to construct the portfolio from the ground up and say if I was zero basing and it was all I converted everything to cash and restarted, how does that how would how does that look? And then, what? How does that change now that I've got because due to the circumstances of me having this money in this property? How do I think through some of those things? Do I ten thirty one exchange? Does that make it? If I would have, if I would in a tax free world convert that into index funds, um, but I can't because my tax situation and the gain I'm going to receive. Do I do a ten thirty one exchange? Is that something that I'm interested in? Um, is now the right time? Do I do? Do I feel like I'm? Just, I should just pay the $2,000 a month to get better optionality in a year or two, or at least have a clear line of sight and be more certain after this pandemic is over, if that's a thing. Um, those are some questions to begin asking about making the right decision for the condo, I think. Does this also make me less diversified? Because then, I don't know, just hypothetically, that would give me, what, nah, 80 90% more in equities rather than spread around in real estate the way the, you know, my portfolio is balanced. Now I have a million in equities and I have a million in real estate. Yeah. I, I don't know. So if the, so if Wall Street just goes to pot, then all of a sudden I have nothing to fall back on necessarily. Where now there's a balance, you know, it's like, well, I got real estate and I got, I got Wall Street, you know, your index funds. Absolutely, I think that's 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 certainly a question that that comes up. You can always diversify that back by putting that into REITs or something like that with those. But I would, I would imagine, and I'm not a CPA, but I'd imagine when you if you talk to your CPA, they tell you to to 1031 or something to that effect because that would be much better from a tax perspective than liquidating paying the tax and then sitting on the cash and figuring out what to do with it from there. You're also now, like, if you do that, you're going to run into the same problem. I got a pile of cash. Do I dump it all into the market right now? And like, we've talked a million times about how mathematically the correct thing to do is to dump it all into the market at once rather than dollar cost average over time. But that is very difficult for me personally. And I don't know how difficult it would be for for you <laughs> in that situation, depending on, on your mentality around that. Um, do you want to dump in three quarters of a million dollars into the even even VTSAX right now, that's that's a hard one too, right? Yeah, yeah, it's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> if this was back in March or April and it was like you know sixty dollars a share, that'd be one thing. But it's, 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 I think it's a hundred now. Yeah, you v- should go back in time. VTSAX. You should sell it right before the pandemic hit, yeah. and then dump it right in, into the stock market in, in in March. That's my advice. The ten thirty one though is that's the when you buy another property, you have a, a couple of months to turn turn the profit over into another property, correct? You can defer the gain, right? Okay. On, on, yes. on, on a, on. But it. he's talking okay. about the timeline. Yes, there is a very tight timeline. If you decide down the road to sell the property, definitely speak to a qualified intermediary, which is the 1031 person, uh, because there are there are timelines you have to hit. There are ways that you have to uh, structure the deal. You can't take possession of the money when you sell it. If you do, your 1031's out the window. You have to identify three properties within 45 days. If you don't, your 1031's out the window. So making these decisions consciously before you put the house on the market helps you have a really smooth 1031 exchange as opposed to the panicky, oh my goodness, I have to buy any property because I don't want to lose all this tax money. Like you're paying short or long-term capital gains on this, what's 800,000 that it's appreciated. So that's no small potatoes, 15, 20% tax on $800,000 or putting that into a new property, which is better. The only problem with the property is everything is very, very expensive now. There's not a lot of deals out there. Yeah. Exactly. So if you've already got this expensive property, maybe, you know, continue to hold it and start to look at different markets and let me know what market you're in so I can jump in there with you. Mr. Kreskin. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't put, go into this very intentionally, my my belief, and, and I have not done a 1031 exchange personally, 
but I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who have, and I remember being at a conference with Brandon Turner, uh, when he was doing his first 1031 exchange and he was like running up against the deadline and just like making offers left and right on anything and everything, because he was going <laughs> to lose so much in tax money by doing that. That's, I think the situation we want to avoid, uh, with the 1031 exchange where we're, we're doing that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm sure he hit a winner cause it's Brandon, but, um, the, the, the <laughs> next, but like, I, I would, I would think if that's the plan, what market do I want to get into? What do I want out of my portfolio? Do I want the next appreciating market? Um, and where is that? Where do I think about that? Is it Nashville? Is it somewhere else? Do I want more cash flow? Do I want a hybrid? And, and really think that through, is it somewhere local, you know, or, or somewhere long distance? And, and I think you'll have options being in Tennessee for all of the above. Uh, but I think once you, if you can think through that, have your framework and really know the market. And one piece of advice here would be look at the sold listings in whatever market that you're interested in and say, what are 10, 15 properties that I would have bought that would put all of my equity to work? Because if you don't, you have to, I think you have to put all of the equity to work. Otherwise, you're not going to be deferring the gains on some of that. So, would I have bought five, 10, 15 of these properties? Great. That tells me that I've got a really good shot if there's 15 that have sold in the last 90 days of another one hitting the market in, in the time frame that I'm going to have for my 1031 exchange. Um, if it's just two properties in the last 90 days, now, you ha- now you're really risking it. So you have to be really comfortable, I think, that what you're looking for will come on the market um, and you'll be able to transact on it in that time bound window as part of that. And that's going to take some research. So I think that in order to pull off, even to, even to have a, a really good option for a 1031 exchange, you have a lot of homework to do um, to figure out what market you want to invest in and wh- where you'd want to deploy that equity and what kind of deals you can expect to come on the market reasonably. Because you're not going to have the luxury of going fishing for a very long period of time uh, if you decide to exercise the 1031 option. Got it. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. Absolutely. There's nothing else then, huh? There's nothing, no other bone to meet off the bone to pick on this. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, yeah, I, I really, I really think the summary here is like, yeah, sure. Like your, your, your position's complex. You could probably consolidate a couple of those investments, but like, that's just, I think the nature of having a career and investing over a long period of time is you pick up these little assets, like the 10 grand to your friend or, you know, the, the portion in that stock that happened to do really well. Um, even though I I shouldn't be investing in specific stocks, you know, so, so like that's, that's what it sounds like your, your portfolio is. I don't think there's anything to like beat up there and you got tax consequences for moving on different parts of that portfolio to different places. So you spend, one quarter of what you earn. You've got these big winners in real estate. I think I think that, you know, sorry, I know we're, we're being disappointing and boring with this. We don't really have, I don't at least have too much for you on, on this. I think I think you've got a really strong situation. And, you know, I think you're you're probably right to be worried about the music industry outlook, but you're probably over conservative on your own role. And even if you aren't, you'd be just fine. You can rejigger your portfolio at a future date if you need to for income generation, if that's what you end up wanting. To, to recap, Mike came in hoping that we would be able to uh, uh, really show up his CPA and give him a lot of uh, clear to cut uh, financial advice on what to do with uh, his condo and these are types of things. And uh, sorry, your, your CPA is probably reasonable uh, with, with that because we, we think you have a really strong position, Mike, and you're, and you're doing a lot of things right. Um, and that's reflective, again, of, of a couple of right place, right time, as you like to call it, or, or smart real estate decisions, um, as, as the rest of us might, might refer to them. And then a lot of really good long-term habits. And, uh, you know, I think you're, you're correct to be conservative about your financial position and what, what the outlook on your career could be uh, with, with, you know, consumer behaviors changing and those types of things. But I don't think there's a lot more really you you could can or, or, or you can really be doing to, to put up more defense against that, you know, worst case scenario, um, they eliminate your position one day and you retire. Um, so I think I that might that's take a, a sabbatical yeah. and then I'll, <laughs> then I'll figure out what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I, but I think, I think that if that's the worst case, that's pretty good. And I think you've got a, a lot of, uh, creative things you can do to leverage your unique talents and strengths to, to either postpone that day, as long as you enjoy what you're doing or find alternatives, um, in the event, you know, to work for yourself or something like that. Um, in the event that that were to happen. 
Yeah, I mean, I can't change what's going to happen with radio. So, in fact, we're even seeing it with the with the people that are in radio. I mean, you know, they're just there's more and more being put on their plate because the budgets are so tight. But you're right. When I guess you know when that changes for good, um, I'll just look for what's next. I I know that it's just I can see it coming at some point. <laughs> Yeah, yep. being aware of it's really important. And I love that you're even thinking of it. And yeah, like Scott said, I don't have a ton of suggestions to make to change what you're doing. Um, we didn't really talk how much you're putting into your Roth IRA. Uh, if you're not maxing it out, I would think that that's a good place to like. So um, I just side note of this. I just uh, after literally 20 years of having a financial advisor, I moved everything to Vanguard because uh, that's where my 401k is based. And I started a brokerage account there uh, like a year and a half ago. Uh, obviously, the fees are a big part of that. Uh, it, fi- you know, it took me two years to really, I'm like, okay, I, I understand this, but let me kind of really dive into this and see. But um, because of what I make financially, I was not able to put anything in the Roth Every year I would have the financial advisor check and he'd be like, well, maybe you could put 800, but I could never do the $6,000 or something. So that's where I just basically, um, I, I mean, I'm not saying I won't go back to the Roth at some point, but in my financial position now, I can't contribute to it. I know okay. there's the backdoor Roth, but I think that I asked my accountant about that. And again, because of the financial uh, you know, salary that I make, can't really do the, not the mega backdoor Roth, but the the ladder, the Roth conversion ladder. Oh yeah, right now on. you can't do a Roth conversion ladder because you make too much income. Having yes. the too high of income to be able to contribute to a Roth IRA problem is a really great problem to have. Um, I've heard you say that before and <laughs> yeah. I'll swim in those waters. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Should you be able to in the future, even if it's just $800, I would because that grows tax-free and- why pay taxes when you don't have to? Yeah, that, yes, that, like, that would be a good move for like a sabbatical year, for example, if that were to, right. to come up in the future. Absolutely. To 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 take, say, $40,000 out of the 401k and then move it to do a Roth conversion with it and then pay a small amount of tax. That's right. Yes. If you're going to have a if you're going to have a year where you're going to have low taxable income, that would be a good year to do that. And for example, if in a situation, well, I'm getting really complex here, but for example, if you were to get more involved in real estate and become a real estate professional, I bet you have a, a large taxable loss on your San Francisco property um, that is currently not, a, I don't think you're currently able to offset your income for that. You might be depending on, on where the specifics of things lie, but um, there's, there's something, there's potentially something there with leveraging the loss in that property um, and a sabbatical year for a Roth conversion ladder, but we're getting really technical if we get to that point. Yeah. But just, That's, you know, things to think about. Yeah, no, thank you. This is, this has been great. I really love it. And it's a I good really position to too. be in. Yes. So. Yes. You Absolutely. are a very enviable position. Um, <laughs> it, it, you've been doing everything right, but I do want to, I do want to say you didn't just start this yesterday. You didn't start this last year. Personal finance no. and financial independence is a, journey. It isn't just, oh, I'm going to be financially independent. Boom. There I am. Yeah. You're an overnight success after a decade or two of uh, (laughs) really a lot of discipline. No, it's been a good decade in the making, at least at this level, I would say. So. I would just continue what you're doing. I think you're, you're really cranking it out and just, you know, be cognizant of the options in the job and see, you know, Looking forward, as you seem to be doing, is going to be the best. What is that? The best offense is the defense is the best offense, or offense is the best defense. I can't. Remember. Scott's a sports guy. Best defense is a good offense. The best defense is a good offense. So you are <laughs> your best defense is your great offense. Yeah, that's the word. The word of the day. <laughs> All righty. Well, we, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing this all with us, Mike. We really, you know, I think we learned a lot from it, even though, you know, maybe you were com- coming in hoping for more advice. I think a lot of people will just learn a lot by saying like, here's, here's an example of, I think, um, what good looks like and natural problems 
that will come out of the the course of becoming wealthy, right? You, If you do in this game and you make a couple of bets, one or two of them are bound to pay off in ways you couldn't have predicted, like the San Francisco condo, and give you some of those those, those interesting challenges. That won't happen for everybody, but it will happen for a lot of people um, over the course of their journeys. So thank you for coming in and sharing this um, the story with us. We really appreciate it and think a lot of people will, will learn from it. Thank you for the advice and for the review. I appreciate it. Yeah, this was awesome, Mike. I really, really, really appreciate your time. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, guys. Okay, that was Mike. Scott, what did you think of Mike's story? Yeah, I, I thought it was great. And you know, I mentioned this in the intro as well, but I feel like his uh, his story is likely to be reflective of that of many other people across a 25-year period of consistently investing, whether that be in your personal home, uh, in markets like San Francisco, um, or in stocks or in other assets, you're probably going to have a few winners or a few large piles of money that are outside of the textbook, uh, that we like to, you know, that, that some folks like to kind of get to with this, like, Oh, I'm hundred percent index funds and across several different multifamily properties in real estate. That seems to be like what the, what a lot of people are striving for, but that doesn't really happen in real life. Um, as we can kind of see from Mike's story here, um, over a long period of time with the ups and downs of markets and the realities of moving and coming and going. And I think that, um, far from kind of like dismissing it as a lucky event, I think lots of people are probably in his situation and wondering what to do with three quarters of a million dollars or a million dollars in equity in what is effectively half of your portfolio. This is, we get this question from time to time in the money group as well. Hey, I've got this one stock I invested in Tesla or Apple or Microsoft or whatever years and years ago, and now I've got uber amounts of money in it. What do I do from a tax perspective? It's a scary situation and it's something that is a real deal and something to look forward to uh, as a set of problems if you're starting this journey younger in life and uh, have those 25 years to hit a few of those random winners you can't predict right now. Right. Some of these problems are, you know, they they are things that you need to be thinking about, but they're also really good problems to have. And mm-hmm. Mike is is hitting all of those things. He's He's got the really great problems to have. And I think we came up with some pretty good solutions for him. Absolutely. Should we get out of here, Scott? Let's do it. From episode 176 of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, he is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying, be sweet, parakeet. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.